0: All right, you got it. Thanks for being here. Maximize Your Influence Podcast 493. Kerr Mortensen here as we take that dive into some of those unknown, forgotten rules of negotiation that we don't even think about sometimes. Some people aren't even teaching anymore that are sometimes just pure instinct after years of monitoring it, doing it. Let's talk about the differences between persuasion and negotiation. Before we do... Hope everyone's having an awesome week, achieving your goals, becoming more persuasive. Please, please, get a little better every day. Add a new tool to your toolbox. The key seems to be this, a tool of the tool a week. Number one. Number two, as you go out and persuade, influence, negotiate, motivate, whatever it is that you do, always take a look, step back. Okay, what did I do well? What can I do better? Fine-tune, get better. Because you can't fix the things if you don't know they're broken or you're not doing them the right way or you're using the tool in the wrong way. That is very important to your success. Spend most of the week analyzing recordings, both video, audio, Zoom. Just kind of put in my two cents, my feedback. Just getting another set of ears and eyes for all of us is so important to do. Hey, send me your recordings. I'd love to take a look at them and uh, let you know what to improve, what to work on. Your strengths, maybe a few areas of weaknesses, which we, again, All have so, with that, let's dive into our persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. As I told you about these recordings, I was going through a cell phone recording, and you know, things have shifted. We're seeing more Zoom, but still a lot of business being done over the phone, cell phone. This was a cell phone, and I just want to talk about a blunder that we all face, we all run into. It's human nature. I mean, this person had good connection skills. They could do this in their sleep. They were answering the questions, and that's the thing. They were doing it in their sleep. They were on autopilot going through the emotions. You have to ask yourself, when you're doing this presentation, are you singing the song or are you singing the words? And they were singing the words. They knew all the words, but it wasn't the song. There was no passion. There was no energy. There was no charisma, no enthusiasm, no oomph. That was the key that it was missing, especially through a cell phone. You need a little something, something as you go through that. Are you on autopilot? Sure, you can answer the questions. And that was the big challenge is they were missing out on the true questions, objections. They didn't peel the onion back. They didn't find the peanut in the middle of the M&M because they were on autopilot. Meaning when someone is asked a question, back up. We're reading body language. Is that the real question? Should we answer the question with a question? When they ask an objection, is that really it? Most of the time, the majority of the time, that first objection you get is not the real objection. Because, oh, I'm too scared. I don't know. Last time I tried it, it didn't work. I don't want to feel like a failure. You don't always get those up front. And a lot of times you don't even get those at all unless you really take a look at what's going on and read between the lines When people say it's too expensive, can't afford it, yeah, it could be true, but that's the goal here. So they brought up a money question, a budget question, and they just answered it, and that was not the issue. The issue is that it seemed a little too complicated, a little too much over their head, and they found out later they weren't solving the real objection. Now, this was in the finance world. But this happens in any world. And we get there. We go through the motions. And so get in the right state. Realize it's the first time they're listening to your presentation. And you need to adapt it to them. Why do they ask that? Why are they saying that? Ask a question with the question. Really find out if that's a true objection. Otherwise, when you solve the wrong objection, that's anti-suasion. It doesn't work. They're just pretending to listen. Sure, they said it maybe you could blame them, point the finger. Well, they asked it. True. But your job is to read between the lines and see what's really going on. Why did they ask that question? Why they have the objection? Is that just a knee jerk? They're just saying that they trying to get rid of you. They don't understand. A confused mind says no. An overwhelmed mind says no. And your job is to get them to say yes. And you do that by singing the song, not the words, truly reading into their body language or their tone or why they asking that. You're peeling the onion back, finding the peanut and the peanut M&M. What's really happening here? Then you can solve the true objection. That's the blunder. And it's something we all have to deal with, especially if it's your 10th call of the day or 10th presentation or you're not feeling it or you didn't get a good night's sleep. Get it. We got to back up, get ourselves in the right state, realizing it's the first time they're hearing it, even though you've done it 100 times, and make sure... You're belting out the song and not just going through the motions and singing the words. All right, let's do a little listener email. Oh, boy. This is from Richard. Remember, Richard, you do get the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com. We'll send that one out to you. We use anything you mention email, humor, joke, article on the podcast. You will also get a subscription. Hit me up at Kurt K R T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And hey, let me plug it, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's where the podcasts are. That's where the archives are. That's where the home of the free persuasion IQ assessment, all the specials, all the links, all right there, everything you need to know to become a power persuader. He says, Kurt, my brother-in-law's a master manipulator. A lot of times I can't see it. It's coming till it's too late. What can I do? How can I resist? Should I manipulate back? Well, we answer that final one there, I wouldn't manipulate back. I mean, there's history here. You've got to see this thing coming. Now, I get it when you're meeting someone for the first time and they become a manipulator, but if someone has a history, a track record, that's ding, ding, first red flag that you've got to back up and say, okay, this is what they do. They're just using me. But then they come back and they're nicer. They didn't mean it. Maybe they apologize. Maybe they was somebody else's fault, they're pointing fingers, but man, if there's a history there and it's happened 10 times, hey, come on, you got to take a look at it, you got to read through it. So Richard, you have a little history there that you can see through, but let's go to our geeky Scarly article and talk about ways to spot those manipulators. Now, this article says in five seconds or less, this is Psychology Today and Psychology How. Again, links are at MaximizeYourInfluence.com if you want to take a look at it. The author is, it says, writer. I'm not sure what that means, but let's talk about manipulation. So here's the ones that they go over in this article. Let's talk about them, and I'll add my two cents. They appear to be too caring, if you're getting too much attention from a stranger, then boss often evaluate. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a stranger. It could be a brother-in-law. You get the phone call. Hey, how you doing? Remember that favor I did for you? What's going on? You're like, deep down, what do you want? What's going on? They just don't call out of the blue. So it doesn't have to be a stranger. It could be a family member that all of a sudden calls you up. What's going on? What's happening? How's your life? You're like, ding, ding, wait a minute. What's going on? What's happening? That could be a red flag. And this could even be someone you just met recently or started working with. Your best friends all of a sudden. It could be true, but you're looking for a couple red flags here. Like, oh, watch out for the manipulation. Another technique they use is when you point out anything that's suspicious, they're going to start blaming you. You're like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? It's your fault. They're blaming you. It's to divert attention, divert the questions, to take you off course. We see that all the time. You even see that in negotiation. So let me add, this type of person is accusing you of lying because they're lying. It's called deflecting. It could be gaslighting, trying to make you feel like you're crazy. You don't remember it right. They remember it right. All right, next one, what they call brownie points, I guess benefits. They will slowly instigate you against the ones that you're close to. You start suspecting your loved ones, something's up, something's going on. Cults do this too, where you're not even allowed to talk to your family. They turn you against them. They're out to get you. You don't even talk to them. So they'll just turn against people. You know what they said or supposedly said, what they did, what they said against you. They're out to get you. That can be manipulation. So you're on their team and you feel like they have your back. Uh, next one says, most manipulators are good communicators. They know how to extract your thoughts. You love that word? Extract your thoughts without revealing anything about others. So let's dig a little deeper on that one. We have to go back to history. Have they done this to you before? Have they done this to others? And this is the thing where you're like, whoa, how did that happen? But great communicators can lead you down that path where you feel like you came up with a solution, that you feel like you should give them money, that you should, whatever they want is a form of great communication. They're not using it for good, but that's what great persuaders do. They plant that seed. You feel like it's your idea, but it was never really your original idea. Next one, most manipulators tell you emotional stories. They're lying. It's fictional. So when someone tells you a story, they're trying to trigger guilt or remorse or trying to get you to do something based on that story. That could be a red flag. Notice they're going to just do a little bit at a time, ask for a little yes at a time, a little money at a time, whatever is that they want, a little favor at a time, let you to bend the rules a little bit at a time is all forms of manipulation. So Richard, there you go. All those links are posted. Let's get into our content about those unknown and forgotten rules of negotiation. We need to make sure these are in your toolbox. A lot of these I've picked up just from monitoring the negotiations instinct. Some are, most are not, taught in a negotiation seminar type setting. So get out your notepads. Let's talk about this. How do you become a better negotiator? Now, first remember our rule persuade first, negotiate second, manipulate third. Okay, I'm kidding on the manipulation persuasion will bring them to our point of view negotiations give take we meet in the middle. now remember in these situation that both sides need to be reasonable. are they reasonable to listen to and hear both sides? are they willing to come to a solution? Divorce is very simple to solve but when those emotions get involved maybe both parties aren't willing to negotiate. in fact I was teaching us sound a group of you know hardcore real estate foreclosure negotiators and Bill may have a story of Home and foreclosure, 75000 in equity. The couple just left. They go to the bank, who cares? I guess they didn't realize 75000 so this person came and said, look, we each take $25,000, i will do all the work. She approached one of them. Oh, sure, I have 25000 just for signing this paper, okay? The other one said, no, that means they get $25,000. right, logically that makes no sense, but they need to be reasonable. They need to be willing and, of course, open. Maybe there's a better answer, we would put a different way to make the pie bigger. I mean, I heard this the other day that you can't negotiate with gravity. (laughs) Gravity's not willing to negotiate. doesn't have to negotiate. It's not going to negotiate. That's the first thing to take a look at. So let's go through some of these. First one, dumb is smart. (laughs) So a couple things here. If you come across as the expert negotiator, too sophisticated, you know too much that you're the expert, that could create a lot of resistance. I mean, you still want to do your research. Lack of preparation is still the number one cause of failure negotiation. You're going to pay with your time or money. Another one, and you don't want to hear this, that slow is fast. I know you want to be one and done. Get the fast yes, but the human brain, it's easier to do a slower yes, to do a yes over three or four negotiations than one big fast yes. Now, sometimes you can get those. But it's slow is fast. This is a process. We're doing this over time. We want the best deal. Because when you feel you got to get it done, got to get it done, then it changes what you're able to get. And you always have to have in your brain, it's okay to walk. When you feel that you can't walk and you have to solve it today, that takes away quite a bit of your leverage. Part of that too is, is not having an agenda, just wanting to hammer it out. Especially those in United States, North America, got to get it done, got to get it done. A lot of countries like Vietnam during the Vietnam War when they were ending it up and they were doing the, the peace talks and negotiation, the Americans rented their hotel night to night. They rented a villa for the year. <laughs> changes the game. A lot of countries in the Middle East, Asia, you're not even allowed to talk about business or things that you need to until you. you get to know each other and spend some time with each other slow as fast. Because if you jump right into it, you can hurt the relationship and hurt the long-term negotiation. How about this one? Nice is good. You don't have to be the angry negotiator from the movies. Harvard study found that just starting out nice, there's a 4% bump in success. Not a lot, but when you implement, if there's a 4% bump here, 5% here, 10% here, it makes a difference. You show disrespect, they're going to show disrespect. They're going to mirror you. If you start off a little mean, a little angry in their face, they're going to reciprocate that for the most part. So nice is good. And part of being nice is adapting to them, to their style, and their expectations. Conflicting styles is another big thing that can be a big challenge in negotiation and impede you from getting that final yes. How about this? Power is real. Power increases your ability to persuade, influence, and negotiate. And you have to identify what power you have. Do they trust you? Do they like you? Are you passionate? Are you credible? Are you the expert? The power is not going to be equal. It rarely is. One party usually has more power than the other. Not always. And people get stuck in this win-win, win-win. Got to have a win-win. And I'm all about the win-win, but win-win does not mean equal splits. So identify your power. And one of the reasons you do that is so you can leverage it. The second reason is so you don't feel powerless. When you're dealing with a vendor and you have to negotiate terms and it's the only place you can get this product on earth, You think they have 100% of the power. Now, they have most of it, but there are other forms of power that you can identify that you could leverage to help you in the negotiation. Next is mindset is key. When you feel influential, you are more influential. Just like I talked about earlier about the blunder being on cruise control, you have to feel influential. You have to be in the right state. You have to get ready to play this game of negotiation. If you're not going to play the game, you're going to lose the game. It's a game. Don't get all upset if they say no. No. Say, all right, giddy up. No, that's the start of the negotiation. Let's go. That's a good thing. Having the right mindset when they start using dirty tricks or dirty deeds, as I call them. Being in the right state, knowing, oh, okay, that's how they're going to play the game. But it's a game. Treat it like a game. Get yourself in the right mindset. This is another one that most of the time doesn't get talked about. All right. EQ is critical. Your emotional intelligence You've got to check your emotions at the door. Only one person angry at a time, and it shouldn't be you. A little controlled anger. Be a little stern. I'm okay with that as long as you're in control. But if you're out of control, blood's left your brain anger, that's not what we're talking about. So you want to get them emotionally involved. You want to control your emotions. You want to trigger the right emotions. That's what makes a successful negotiation. Part of that, too, is knowing when to say, I agree, you're right giving a concession or let them persuade you. Studies are clear that if you let them persuade you on a few points, you give them a few concessions, they're more likely to reciprocate and be more open to persuasion and be more open to give you a few concessions. Another is the as best. What does that mean? Solve the easiest issues first. Everyone goes to the hardest issues and we hit a roadblock and you solve nothing, but solve a few of the basics first. Delivery date, who's on the team, what's the warranty look like? Whatever it is, start getting a track record of yeses. Start with the easiest issues first, because there's only one final issue left. Even though it's the hardest, psychologically, it's much easier to solve. Next one, match their game. Talked a little bit about this. Hey, if they're going to treat it like a game, you treat it like a game. If they're going to treat it just a casual encounter, we're just talking, you can treat it the same way. If they're gonna treat it like a war and they're a psychopath, then you better back up and treat it like a war. So you wanna match their game. Are they just kinda of basic, basic? Are they gonna play, no, this is the game of negotiation? Are they a psychopath treating it like a war? They don't care if there's a loser in this? Then you have to reciprocate that. Not in a negative way, you don't have to cross any lines, but you need to just keep your eyes open on how they're gonna play this game. And final one, silence is fun. every negotiation trains on it. But if you've been to the same training, it gets awkward, but Hey, silence is neutral. Don't let it get to you. It's part of the game for some people. They'll actually lose respect for you if you're the first one to talk. So don't let it get into your head. It's okay for a little silence. Even if it feels a little awkward at first, silence is part of the game. It can be fun and definitely something you can use. Instead of always instantly asking the question, use a little silence. So there we have it. Thanks for being here. Implement a few of those, kind of the unknown and forgotten rules of negotiation. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. can be found at iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, under Maximize Your Influence. We're going to continue with this week's special on the 90% discount on InfluenceUniversity.com. It's a lifetime membership. You get everything all my audios, all my videos. You could do the structured 52 week program, or you just go to the library and find exactly the solution you need to solve your challenge. Take something you've learned today, become more influential, become a better negotiator, become a better person, be more observant, increase your EQ. Don't let people manipulate you and go out and persuade with power.